first, because uh, some of you are new, uh, we'll just, uh, we chanted Om uh, three times. An easy way just to understand what Om is, because all over America people are saying Om now, but very little conceptual understanding of it. The true conceptual understanding is a cosmic reality. But on a simple way, what we can say is all this is God. That's what Om is. Om is the the seed of creation. When I say creation, I mean everything. Everything from the fibers on the on the uh, rugs, you know, to the very air you breathe, to the, to the very corporeal body that you possess. All this is God. So it starts off with a, a radical attitude change, as opposed to this is this and this is that. <laughs> <laughs> and we're very removed from it. If you say, all this is God, you have to lean back and think, whoa, maybe I should be a little bit referential. <laughs> Not to take everything for granted. All this is God. So it means we have to approach things and treat things in a way um, that is kind, loving, and reverential. All this is God. So that's the first revolutionary healing. <laughs> the second thing that we did was we sat in um, uh, silence. Why? Why? First thing you do when you wake up is you jump and run. <laughs> but when you get up in the morning and, and jump and start running, you're jumping up into your creation and you're running in your creation, your personal psychic creation. You didn't give yourself a, a moment to find who and what you are. You, you created a projection, you created a, a movie theater and then you dove into it. But you didn't get a chance to recollect what you are. So, because we're in the massive habit of, of constant, persistent uh, creation, uh, the great Dharma teachers of the past uh, give the injunction to sit still. And they say to sit still with concentration over a prolonged period of time. Why? You always ask why. <laughs> it's important. So that, so that you have time to put aside your projections, your personal creation, to see what's really going on. 99.9% .9 of what we see is our own psychic projection. Our thoughts, our feelings, our impulses, our memories, our dreams, our desires. Can you see how much is in front of your psychic screen that you never got to see what was really going on? You got to see your own projections. So in stillness, 
you get a chance to let things settle down. Sometimes joyfully, sometimes boringly, sometimes painfully. <laughs> but you get a chance to uh, allow things to settle down. And then you can see what God is doing. Or if you don't want to use the word God, what creation is doing. And if you don't like creation, what the source is doing. Whatever your nomenclature, no problem. <laughs> Heaven takes very little offense. Actually, no offense. <laughs> so, today we're talking about um, yoga and self-healing. So, the word yoga comes from the root word yog, to, to join together, to bind together, to bind the, the finite and the infinite. In this study of uh, yoga and, and self-healing, uh, there's two ways of approaching it. And I'm giving you classical yogic methodology of healing. That's what we'll be discussing. Uh, there's the top-down approach and the bottom-up approach. Both are valid and, 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 and both are necessary. If, if you're talking about uh, self-healing from the top down uh, uh, the root of lack of health is ignorance simple ignorance so the antidote uh, from the top down point of view is truth so any, any deep-seeking of truth is a form of, of radical and fundamental, radical and fundamental self-healing. Self Another word you can use for truth is Dharma. Why, why do you study Dharma? Why do you pursue that, that science? Because it's the ultimate self-healing. I, I one time asked my Guruji, you know, what is the greatest disease? And he gave me a shocking answer. He said, birth. <laughs> that really took me back. And he said it like in a split second. He didn't have to think about it. What is the greatest disease? Birth. Why? Because to get back here, you have to have many knots of confusion. You know, many knots of ignorance. You know, and those knots of ignorance lead to the whole plethora of other of other problems that you may acquire. So, you know, if you want to escape, you know, disease and suffering, don't get reborn. <laughs> you don't want to get reborn. Study Dharma. You know, get next to the Dharma teachers. Get next to the saints get next to the masters and um, absorb the science, apply the science. So that's the top-down approach, you know. Uh, the the bottom-up approach, uh, the yogis uh, give a very uh, simple breakdown of self-healing. Because all the yogis, one way or the other, are physicians. They may be working in different 
different areas of, of, of the healing the human condition, but um, they're all healers. Anyone who, anyone who says a prayer, even if it's a selfish prayer, they're on the road to healing. If they're saying an altruistic prayer, they're squarely on the road, they're dead center. And they're not only healing themselves, they're healing others. Any, any act that's bringing wholeness not only heals the other person, heals yourself, but helps people around you. Because the, it's correct intention. Correct intention. With correct intention, eventually you'll sort it out and have correct method. But without correct intention, no hope. <laughs> Forget about it. You're, you're basically in a ditch. <laughs> but correct intention will lead you to correct methodology. Heaven will find some way of getting you the center, center path. But the yogis will talk about three primary methodologies and within primary thoughts, and then within those thoughts are many, many methods. Um, they say that um, with self-healing, the first principle is, is purification. So there's many, many forms of purification. Question? Okay. So, so they say pur purification first. Then harmonization, to bring about harmony in the system. And when they, when they say the system, they're talking about the physical system, the emotional uh, system, and the mental system. All three, all three facilities. Those are the th facilities you experience the world through. And the uh, third principle is vitality. So purification, harmonization, and vitalization. Those are the three principles that the, the yogis talk about in, in, in general healing. So in purification, you know, thinking from a physical perspective, and with these things, so we're going to look at the, phys the physical first, then emotional, then mental. With physical purification, these are very simple things, like uh, the cleansing of the large intestines, the cleansing of the bowels. So that's done through enema, or colonic is another way that they say it. And then the improvement, the second thing is the improvement of uh, digestion, to raise the digestive fires. And then the third thing they'll talk about is the pranayama. Pranayama has multiple factors, multiple factors, but it's also a purificatory methodology. It's also a vitalization. It, 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 it does a lot of things. So that's from the from the physical perspective, washing, washing the um, the bowels, stimulating the digestion, and uh, cleansing through vital to, from the, the lungs, getting waste out of the body through pranayama. The next thing that the yogis will look at in the terms of purification will be your emotions. You know, so, so much of the, the human condition, why people fall ill, is often emotional. There are emotional tensions and, and frustrations um, 
hidden and known, cause a, a devitalization and then eventually a breakdown. So one has to uh, have the courage to start uh, uh, taking a, a survey of their emotions. So how does one do that? One says, okay. And this is also good to get a little booklet, a little diary, because this is very helpful to, uh, to look at your emotions and say, in the last week, and you have to be really, really honest. This is also part of the yogic process, is, is learning a type of ruthless honesty. Not ruthless judgment, just ruthless honesty. You know, you got to know where you are in order... It's like when a mechanic looks at a car engine. He doesn't say bad carburetor. You know, he looks at it, analyzes it. If the carburetor is not working, he does the, the adjustment. There's no judgment about it. So you have to take the same thing. You have to have a ruthless honesty. So you look at your, you have a patent paper, and you say, what are the primary uh, emotions that I've experienced in the last week? And then you say, what are they? minor emotions that I've experienced in the last week. But you have to take a hard look at it, go day by day and think, well, when I was in the store, how did I feel and how did I speak? You know, and when I met the people at work. So you look at all the various contexts of your life, where, you know, the, the, the places that your life takes you to. And what was your emotional state when you were in that place? So you're going shopping, you're going to the gas station, you're going to work. You're stopping at a friend's house, you may go to the pub. What are the various emotional states that you had? Write it down. Because it's, it's, it's in acquiring some kind of clarity do you, do you find out what's useless, what's neutral, and what's not so beneficial. See? But it, it, until you make an intelligent, clear survey, you don't know. It's just life happening. But it's life happening unviewed. Un, unthought out. See? You, you, you can't weed until you see what's in the garden. So you have to see, okay, is, is this productive, is this non-productive, is this supportive, is this non-supportive. So look very deeply at the various emotions that you've experienced in the context of a, a full week. And you can't, this cannot be done in a half hour, hour. You have to really think it out. Go by each day. You know, who you met, what were the principal activities you were involved in, and what were your emotional states. Because only then do you, do you have a, a chance to edit, just like a good novel. Nobody writes a good novel and hands it the first draft and thinks it's going to be appropriate. No, you, you, there's a certain amount of editing you do. Certain, so with your emotional states, you have to say what was productive, what was non-productive. What's non-productive? You find an antidote. What's productive? You enhance. So you'll do that with your emotions. And then you'll do that with your mind. What are, what are the primary thoughts you've had? What is the primary quality of thoughts that you've had? What have, what have been the motivating thoughts that you've had? So you, you have to become much like a, a really good scientist to say what what are the dynamics of my life? Unless you examine them deeply, you don't know. So you're sort of on autopilot. 
So how, how can you do real self-healing if you're on autopilot? See? You don't want a surgeon on autopilot. <laughs> you want a surgeon who's present in the moment, <laughs> taking care of business. You don't want it on autopilot. So we have to look, have a very deep analysis of the quality, the nature, the type of thoughts we have. Until you write it out, you honestly won't know. You'll, you'll, have a, you'll surmise a few things in general, but you won't know. Nothing can be corrected until you know. So, with each of your facilities, the physical facilities, your emotional facilities, your mental facilities, you should say, what were my primary physical activities? What were my primary emotional activities? What were my primary mental activities? That way, in that survey, you have greater clarity because the activities you've involved yourself in physically are going to have an implication on your health. Same thing with emotions, the same thing with thoughts. You, you, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build a future, a future of being in tune, of healthy, and truly receptive. Most people live in, a, in their, a type of psychic bubble where they're in their own echo chamber. They're, they're doing, feeling, and thinking things. And what they're relating to is what they're doing, thinking, and feeling. They're in their own chamber. <laughs> they don't know what you're doing, thinking, and feeling. You know, They know what they are doing, and that everything... Everything that another person is doing is in reference to what they're doing, thinking, and feeling. They're in their own echo chamber. So nothing that you're putting out as a being is truly received. Hence, the newspapers are full of nonsense. Because of lack of communication. We, we, we don't commune with each other. We commune with ourselves. And if, if uh, we're unconsciously uh, picked up uh, uh, non-productive uh, habits and, and practices, there's that slow decline of well-being. People say, oh, I'm getting older, so oh, depression is normal. Oh, I'm getting older. Oh, achy body is normal. Well, who said that? <laughs> told you that. Well, maybe that's what you've observed, but that may not be normal. <laughs> you know, that, that may be what is, is uh, being exercised by, by an unenlightened life. See? But it's not normal. <laughs> it's not normal. I don't think God said, well, how many diseases can I send to the earth? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Disease is man's business. You know, you know, heaven sent a healthy, you know, package, a normal straight line, and then we made a graph. You know, ups and downs, ups and downs by our by our experimentation with creation. You know, the, the human condition wants to reflect the cosmic condition. The Lord above is is the master creator. 
So <coughs> heaven, like each individual, is like junior creator. We all want to create something. But unfortunately, we're unlightened. So our creations are a, a vast experimentation of what is possible. Not necessarily what's the best for us, but what's possible. So we, we have all kinds of activities of, of experimentation. If we get back to that uh, earlier statement with that root silence, in, in that silence is not creation, but in that silence is intuition. When the yogis speak about intuition, it's not like a common people saying, well, I have an intuitive feeling, which means I think this, I feel that. That's not what the yogis are, are discussing. When, when a yogi says the word intuition, it is a, a direct knowing without cause. A direct knowing without cause. That's the same facility that heaven uses in the kingdom. There's not a, a science. It's not based on anything. It's just, it's nature. It's nature is knowing. <laughs> So in that science of being quiet, being simple, being peaceful, finding an inner silence and, and holding to that as your primary beingness, intuition naturally arises. It's a natural arising of intuition, of, of direct knowing. So the first principle was... Uh, to purify, so things like cleansing the bowels, uh, fasting, you know, pranayama—all these things, increasing the uh, digestive capacity—all of these things will lead to uh, physical uh, health and cleansing. They'll lead to it, but they won't necessarily keep it, because there's other factors. If your emotional issues are not addressed, like you see people taking all these pills and jogging and riding their bicycles, all good stuff, taking the Hatha Yoga, God bless them, it's all really good. But if they're undermining their health with their emotional conditions, I don't care how much good things you're doing on the physical level, you're still going to corrupt those processes. If you have you know, very strong violent emotions or very strong regrets, all of these things, it unbalances you. You will not stay right. <laughs> so, unless they're addressed, no matter how many vitamin tablets and yoga classes you take, you'll still fall ill. It's going to happen. It's just a question of when and under what circumstances. But it'll happen. So, emotionally, we have to say, make analysis of who are the healthiest emotional people historically? And then, who are the healthiest emotional beings I've seen in my personal life? See? So one is a far view, one is a near view. But you, you have to start seeking out models. And you actually have to ask those questions. Because unless you ask those questions, you can't... You, there's nothing to emulate. There's nothing to copy. See? It's like, I want to get to Rome, but I don't have a map. 
Well, good luck. <laughs> so you have to you have to find sources that you say, okay, that was really healthy what they're doing, how they live, how they feel, how they express themselves in the world through their heart. <laughs> get next to them. Seek them out and get next to them. It'll rub off. <laughs> <You know? coughs> this lady is a gardener. If I keep company with her, I'll learn about the world of nature. I'll be a richer human being. So, get next, whatever you really, really want in terms of self-healing, get next to it. Get next to it. If you, wanna, if you, have, you want wisdom nature, get next to the yogis, because that's what they put their life into. You want to learn about the, the earth, get next to those, those people who are stewards of the earth. It'll rub off. And then we look at our we look at our minds keenly. Uh, the the science of meditation has many many uh, uh, facilities, but one of the facilities, or one of the phenomena, is observation of the mind in the course of meditation. By doing a, a simple honest observation of the mind, we get an intimate understanding of the quality of mind, the quality of thought that we're experiencing and that we're holding. But we must look. We must, we must look in a very fierce way, not to fall away from anything, but to stand still and, and gaze. You don't have to judge. But you do have to be aware. It's the, the mind is full of a myriad of thoughts, major and minor. And until we can quietly gaze at them and see the nature of mind, see, because unfortunately we live on autopilot. And what the, many of the teachers are saying, try to become more present. But by being present, it means not holding on to the past, not creating the future. See what's going on now in your mind. And see that all of these all of these thoughts and the levels of energy that each one of those thoughts have is a is a type of lens. So the question is are you really seeing the world? And if you're not really seeing the world the way it is, how effective can you be in living it, in being present in it? So first we have to see the thoughts, see the quality of the thoughts, and see the validity of the thought. Is this thought just a wild abstraction, you know, based on some impulse? <clears throat> or is this, is this thought honing in on the true nature and quality of life? Is it a clear thought or is it a highly corrupted thought? mixed with many, many, many impressions. See? Each of each of it is a lens. So when you're when you're sitting in meditation, there's an infinite amount of rising and falling of psychic phenomena. And you get to see whether this phenomena has value to life. Is it does it enrich life? Does it lift life? 
Or is it just, you know, a, a cacophony of impulses that manifest different thoughts? And every one of those thoughts is the root, will, will cause an emotion. Every one of those emotions will have an effect in the body, see? So it's important to know your thoughts. Now, we all are a big mixture. We're, we're human sponges moving through the world. We're doing a lot of self-creation and we're doing a lot of absorption. You know, it's like a very sticky ball rolling through a junkyard. <laughs> you know, you pick up a lot of rubbish and you might luck out and pick up a diamond. <laughs> You know, but you've got to pick up a lot more rubbish than diamonds. I mean, if you look at the world, just open the newspapers. <clears throat> That's what we're rolling through. And we're absorbing it unconsciously. So we need antidotes to that kind of stuff. You know, if, if you don't monitor your psychic state, you really are like a, a rubber ball filled with glue rolling through a dump. You're just picking up stuff. You don't mean to, you're not good, you're not bad, you just, you're just living. But you're absorbing all of this rubbish. So you think, oh, why did I have this ache? Why is my stomach disruption? Because you've absorbed a lot of unconscious rubbish. Just like, you know, if you walk into a room and it's a joyous event, all of a sudden you feel it. Or you walk into a room and someone just had an argument, you feel it. See, you're picking all this stuff up and you're storing it in your subconscious. So, the yogis want you to uh, be, uh, do maintenance and, and, and have some clarity. So, why do you study scriptures? You know, why do you study lives of saints? So that the psychic content can be improved because the general human being's psychic content could be described as whatever. <laughs> whatever they rolled past, they absorbed. <laughs> That's the unfortunate state. Sometimes it's so good, sometimes it's not so good. But if you do a, a directed study of, of scripture, you're having the most talented beings uh, give analysis of the, the clearest, deepest, most precious, most important thoughts that can happen in the human condition. They're actually looking at the topics that humanity eventually has to look at. Humanity has to say, what is the nature of love? What is the nature of compassion? What is the nature of kindness? What is the nature of sharing? See? What is true beingness? See, that's what the saints are all looking at. This is, this is high, jnana, high thinking. And they, they've invested themselves in that level of thought. You know, what is the root of existence? You know, if you get Joe Schmo and ask him, what is the root of existence? Thinking, Who are you? Get away from me. You know, they, they don't want to hear that kind of stuff. If you say, where's McDonald's? They'll tell you exactly where it is. <laughs> <laughs> what did you ask about this? nature of compassion or existence, they'll be, what? <laughs> so, the, the habit of high thought is not really there. But if you want to be healthy, get next to those people who are having the highest level of thought.
the highest level of, of uh, expression. So if you look at a, a Lord Buddha, a Jesus, a Sri Krishna, see, and, and, and look at their physical action, look at their emotional action, look at their psychic action, and do a clear analysis. Because those were beings that were flowers of humanity. They're at the top of the evolutionary chain. So where do you want to go? <laughs> you know, yes. So, um, um, so what should you bring then to the, to the garbage that you're picking up all the time? That's um, as the antidote. The antidote is studying scripture. That, that, that's, the, that's the first thing. Because that's, that starts on the intellectual level. But there's also many mystical practices. But we know, we know intellect, we all go through our schooling, so we're used to that. So we start with just clear analytical thinking. What made a Jesus special? And what was important to his life? And then why was it important to his life? See? So we start with a Jesus, a Buddha, or a Krishna, and we analyze what was important to them, and then why was it important. See? So that's the first analytical approach. Then, then later on, well, okay, following that, then say, well, in, in their aspirational life, if you look at a Jesus, well, Jesus said prayer was important. So... We say, let's study the prayer. Now, when, when you study prayer, what you're seeing, and this is important to understand, when you take a prayer, you can find your favorite saint and, and go through their prayers and find a prayer that has meaning to you. When you analyze that prayer, what you're really doing is you're analyzing the psychology of that saint. What you're doing is seeing that saint's world view. See? So, as human beings, we have to make a revolution in ourselves to learn to see through the eyes of the saints. <coughs> we have to have some humility because we think that we're king of the universe. You know, it's unfortunate. <laughs> But the average human being, consciously or unconsciously, we all want to be emperors. <laughs> but um, if we take these great saints and great masters and study their prayers, we can start to the process of aligning ourselves with their worldview. That we have the humility to say that my worldview is more limited than their worldview, so maybe I should adopt their worldview. By making that revolution, and making that those that inquiry, you're healing. You are doing radical self-healing. So study prayers and realize the prayers are the psychology and worldview of the saints. So that's one level. Now going a little bit further in, a deeper level, where you have to get next to the yogis and saints, is to learn the science of mantra. Mantra are is a is a body of sounds 
that have that's origin lies in the kingdom and through every level of phenomena has an effect. Mantra is, you know, it's like a um, like a ship in the harbor can find its way home through the foghorn and mix, miss the shoals and, and ways of wrecking the ship. Mantra brings you home. Mantra is a way of, through pure vibration, sometimes, sometimes the sound vibrations have meaning, sometimes they are beyond meaning. They just have effect. But mantra is a process of, of organizing your psyche where you become in harmony with the root of that mantra. The root of the mantra is the divine. So each mantra is, is like a note from the kingdom, a vibratory note from the kingdom. And by repeating that vibratory note within you, you self-organize around that energetic principle. So some mantras are particularly for healing. Well, all mantra is healing in one way, in one way or the other. It's all healing in one way or the other. But various potentialities will manifest through each mantra. So the, the heaven is the this, this storehouse of all potentiality. So all potentiality will manifest through a mantra. See? But if you follow any mantra back to its root, it all leads to the kingdom. <laughs> See? So by saying Gayatri Mantra, Mahamitram Jayaranta, or Krishna Mantra, or Devi Mantra, all of these are just different roads home. As per your particular predilection, your particular nature, your particular level of evolution, you may, or your particular uh, historical patterns, you may want Devi Mantras, or you want Krishna Mantras, you know, Hanuman Mantra, whatever. They're all these are all faces of God. If you, if you say there's a, a cosmic diamond with infinite facets, each one of those facets is a mantra, but each one of those mantras is part of the body of God. See? So if you pull my finger, I'll say, oh, you're pulling Hari's finger. If you pull my nose, oh, you're pulling Hari's nose. If you pull my toe, oh, Hari still looks up. <laughs> That's how God is. You know, you know, each mantra is a facet of God. If if you touch and contemplate and practice that mantra, you're attuning yourself to a, an aspect of God. Some are micro aspects. Some are cosmic aspects. Like you, if you say Gayatri mantra, that's cosmic mother, all divine creation. That. <laughs> so that's a more mystical practice. But the beauty of mantra is you don't have to be high intellectual. You know, some practices you have to have certain uh, psychic skill. But with mantra, faith. Say, ah, God is there. This is the this is the the sound syllables that have come through the masters that have been given to the humanity. If I associate with that, 
if I magnify that vibration, the insight comes. And that's a fact. That, that's an actual fact. You know, so you don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be anything. You just have to be alive. <laughs> and you'll get the benefit of mantra. It, it works. It works. That's, that's like calling heaven through vibration. And heaven responds. So there are many practices like that. Mantra will, mantra is one of those practices which will affect the body, the emotions, and the mind, all at the same time. They'll all be being improved by the practice of, of God's name. Even if you're doing that silently inside. Yeah. Okay. When the when the teachers teach, they say there's three ways: mm -hmm. um, utter, mutter, and silence. Mm -hmm. Speaking it aloud. Mm -hmm. Speaking it quietly, <laughs> saying it quietly within, silently within. They'd probably lock me up if I did it at work. So. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, you know, most of yogic practices, they, they say, do in secret. And the reason for that is you probably will get blacked out. <laughs> you know? you know, people don't understand. Yeah. So... It's one of those things you joyously keep to yourself, <laughs> you know. So, so there's many, there's many uh, processes. But first, with this whole um, thing of healing, self-healing, is is to know where you stand. You can't fix what you don't know is broken. You know, so you have to know where you stand. So that that kind of physical inventory, emotional inventory mental inventory is super, super, super important. You know? And then once you, you've sort of taken an inventory and have a general idea of, of, of where you stand, forget what your problems are, what, what the disease is. The, 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 remember, it's all rooted in your lack of knowledge, your lack of insight, your lack of entombment. Whatever disease you have, you know, whether it's you know, immediate or genetic or whatever, it, it all came from some form of ignorance whether past or present. When I say past, I'm talking about even past birth. So the, that vibration comes forward. You know, why did you all come out of the mother's womb and within five years you have radically different personalities? Why is that? Why aren't you all the same from the past? In yoga they say something comes from something. <laughs> you all have various different personalities. How'd that happen? You had brothers and sisters. Why aren't you copy copies of them? Carbon copies of them. You can be very, very different. Something comes from something. Past actions, present results. So, when we look at this, the self-healing, you're not only seeking to uh, create uh, a harmonious, vital, joyful life, in tune life now, you're thinking about tomorrow, the next day, and the next birth. See? Your, your, your investment is now and forever into the future. You want to create greater and greater states of entombment, of health, of joy, of enrichment. Again, with uh, self-healing, this is something that the Dalai Lama is, is, is teaching humanity uh, and, and making a very big 
case. Um, the case for altruism. Massively important. So if, if we just, again, do this self-survey and say, what is, how much do I think about the other? And then how much do I think about the earth, uh, the, the creatures that run through the earth, and the other human beings? How much do I think about their welfare as opposed to thinking about myself? What is the proportionality? You know, how much of my life is dedicated to the other? That's going to also be a very clear determinatory as to where your health is going to be. See? The more you're thinking primarily of yourself, your own personal survival, your health's not going to be that great. Whether it's now or later, you're, you're heading for a calamity. It's, it's only in community enrichment is there real health? Like, who wants to be healthy while the world burns? Does that make any sense at all? Does it make any sense at all? Are you really healthy? No. You're a frightened survivalist. So, really, uh, there is no such thing as real health without uh, supporting the well-being of others. It's not possible. It's not possible. So, it doesn't mean you, you've got to, you know, run out and fix everybody. But it does mean that in your heart, there has to be some action towards others. Some positive action towards others. So, even... In the morning, when, when we, after we wash, you know, you know, simple prayer for the welfare of others. May all have water to drink and bathe. See, may all have a roof upon over their heads. So you think, well, how does that affect anything? But by you saying that prayer for the for the general welfare of others, may all have peace. May all have joy. They all have opportunity. And in your heart, really mean it. Well, that's one vibratory ray of energy coming into the world. But it's going to link up with the other energies that are in sympathy with it. So how does a tsunami become a tsunami? It's lots of drops of water together. See? By any individual, individual think, oh, I'm not so much. But I'm praying in conjunction with many, many other good souls praying. It's a vibratory tsunami. See? So the thing is, we all do our bit. See? We all do our bit, and then we have faith in the root of harmony, root of happiness, root of, you know, of, uh, of health. With that, we, ha we, we live with noble intention. See? We live with purpose. See? In this country, one of the great diseases that you, you see coming is the disease of loneliness and lack of purpose. So people get 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old. They feel isolated and they feel like they have no purpose. Why? 
if they had trained in some yogic process where that they know that they're a part of a divine force in the world in union with many other elements doing the same thing, are they really lonely anymore? Are they really purposeless anymore? No. There's a deep mysticism when you say prayers. When, when your, your life becomes prayer and mantra and meditation based. There's a literal, visceral, deep mysticism where there is a, a communion with the world. A communion with the inner, <clears throat> inner world. And there's a... It's conscious. It's, it's not, oh, I feel this. Oh, I, it's not airy-fairy at all. Not at all. There's a, there's a living connection to life. And that you're like a gardener who's constantly tilling the, the soil of earth, the earth of humanity, to help it become well, to become whole, to become healing. So, where is the loss of purpose? See? So whether you're 70 years old, 80 years old, 90 years old, there's persistent community and persistent purpose. See? But you start now of persistently praying for the welfare of others, persistently trying to attune yourself through mantra, persistently trying to attune yourself through meditation. And then you pray for the welfare of others. There's an alchemy that happens. There's an alchemy that happens where you'll experience your connectedness to the world. You're not isolated in your dream, your, your hidden dream. See? You know, what wasn't Jesus connected to? What wasn't Buddha connected to? What wasn't Jesus or Sri Krishna connected to? See? These, these are universal cosmic beings. The question is, why not you? Ignorance. Ignorance. See? You simply didn't know to do these things, to create a body of habits that brought you into communion, brought you into healing, brought you into purposefulness. See? This is the secret yogic journey that we all have to make. This is this prayer, mantra, meditation, life of good works. See? That is what brings healing. But persistent analysis. It's like sharpening the sword. You constantly have to keep the intellectual facility very, very sharp. And then by these mystic practices, the intuitive body of knowledge comes. So all of healing is really, really vast. And you do both. You do the top down and the bottom up. <laughs> Do the, all the forms of, of purification of body, of motions of mind. You know, do the things that, that, that bring harmony to the system. So you want all the organs working with one of the other organs, the circulatory system functioning, you know, the endocrine system functioning. Do all the things that bring harmony. But it's a 
what you're embarked upon is a lifestyle, a yogic lifestyle. Don't do it like as an element. Oh, I, I ride my bicycle and that's just my element. Or I take these tablets, that's an element. It's insubstantial. We've got to get through this entire world of variant energies. If you're just doing one little thing, it's not up to the challenge. This world is immensely challenging of all the different influences. So you, you little need a body of practices that become a lifestyle in order for you to navigate through this world. You know, who is not going to have a death come to them in mother, brother, sister, friend? Well, that'll knock your boat off kilter. You know, who's not going to have illness come to them? That's going to knock your boat off kilter. You, you need something that can challenge these massive emotional forces. Who's not going to have the loss of love? See? All of these things imbalance us. So we need practices that ha are of equivalent or greater potency. See? So that's why we study Dharma. Dharma is the deepest study of, of life and how to keep purity, balance, and joy as we move through all of these phenomena, all of these infinite phenomena that are, that are going to occur to us. See? And any thoughts or reflections on what we're saying? Or push me to go for deep, deeper detail? Yeah. Sort of identified my thoughts, the ones or a range of beliefs and thoughts that have come together. I understand that maybe a mantra might be helpful, prayer might be helpful, studying the works of the saints might be helpful. So you're prefacing everything with might, I'm saying for sure. <laughs> yeah. So where do I start? How do I start all of this? What's the first step I can well, take? You've already done that. The, the, the first thing, you've done it consciously and unconsciously. The very fact that you show up at a satsang. Satsang is, the purpose of satsang is to bring clarity in life. See? But you would never have showed up at a satsang unless you realize that your, your understanding of life was not full. So in understanding, that you're, you're, in understanding that your understanding of life is not full, you sought satsang, which brings greater fullness. So you've already started the process. So association is, is one of the first things, is association. But first you have to realize that you don't know. Realizing that you don't know is the, is the first step of knowing. <laughs> Absolutely the first step of knowing, when you realize you don't know. And then you seek out... Okay, I don't know, how do I know? And that's where you'll end up in satsang. The per and then the Dharma teachers, their job is to take the knowledge of the masters and saints and bring it into a contemporary language and into a contemporary method of application. So it's real to the individual. The teacher's job is to make it real and personal accurate to the masters. We can't deviate at all. 
but it would make it contemporary and relevant to what you're going through. Like I'll say car instead of ox cart. <laughs> See? <laughs> ox cart. Riding an ox may not be so relevant now. But a motorcycle or a car. Okay. We'll make the adjustments. <laughs> so, but so you, you, but there's, it's just these general understandings, a very simple understanding that, like normally people just say a prayer, we say it, the priest is happy, we're out the door. You know? But now we know that the prayer is a psychological tool. See, it's the psychology of the saint, and it's the worldview of the saint. That changes the context of the prayer. See? We, we have a whole different way of looking at the prayer. Instead of, you know, do my obligatory prayers and get out. Now it's a psychological methodology. You had a question? Well, I just, um, so in my experience, uh, mm -hmm. which happens on a daily, but started with, it's starting to kind of make more sense, but it's just mm -hmm. not in a time frame that I guess I wish sometimes, like, I wish I could do one thing and then it would change more quickly. But I, I'm always in the, one of the worst, um, Junkyards. That's where I work. You know, yeah. I spend a lot of time there. as how yeah. I make a living. Yeah. And it's constant garbage that I'm always surrounded by. And I've, yeah. I've noticed not only do they want me to not be, you know, in any kind of enlightened state, but the people I work with want very much that for me not to be in that state because then it challenges their sense of reality. Yeah. So I'm always looking for a way to um, to exist in that place you know which is maybe mantra will help but uh, so it's like that's where I sometimes worry I'm not worried I wonder where to start more you know the next step because I've done as Raj said like I I can see myself responding now and that's changed a lot um, which I think actually brought me to another level where it's um, less dark but um, but I, I find myself wondering then how do you what's the next practice when you are witnessing your response but when you're dealing with such darkness, you, you're not, and it's always coming at you to, because it doesn't want you to exist, you know, and mm -hmm. what do you do? Yeah. Well, this is, you do have to start up your own personal practice. But your own personal practice deeply fortifies you against all the nonsense of the world. <laughs> it really does. You, 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 there is a vibratory armor that you will acquire over time. But you could be in the real mud pits of, of humanity's psyche and it won't affect you at all. It won't bother you at all. You'll, you'll be like a Teflon you know, <laughs> yogi. <laughs> it, it, it's, that's actually really real. Um, but it, it's, it's just a, a commit, making a commitment to a, a personal mystical life. You know, and you can't say that in public because you'll be no, considered no. a nutcase. I agree, and I've experienced that. So my own. So I'm looking for the next yeah. deepest thing I, I must do because yeah. that has totally worked. Like I'm, yeah. I've become. I wouldn't say like complete Teflon, but like yeah. I have some holes. But you know, yeah. but mostly it slides off. Me, <laughs> A little you know? bit of leakage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what do you do to plug the holes in? What's the next yeah. thing? Yeah. No. It, yeah. Once you find uh, correct practice, mm. then it's just more. I see. More. Mm. So that that you're, you're, you have to change your vibration, your own psychic vibration, so that there is not a, 
a place that is a receptacle for rubbish. <laughs> See? It's, it's, it's just, like, like, I go to the Safeway down the block, and I'll be doing my normal shopping. There's a whole big corridor of, of alcohol. When I walk down it, it means nothing to me. It absolutely means absolutely nothing to me. But to somebody else who has, you know, a receptacle for that, it means a lot to them. You know, but me, you know, I, I barely see it. So, so it's whether you have a receptacle. So, whether whatever the type of frustration that you may that you may experience, it means there's still a receptacle in you to to, to receive it. There's still a place for it to land. And there's a, a, a story about uh, um, a, a saint who was being insulted. And every time he walked past this guy, this fellow just spat on him. So the saint would turn around and go, wash. And he came back up and the guy would spat on him again. And this went on and on and on. The saint took no offense. You know, he just kept going down the river and washing himself. And then finally, this fellow who kept spatting on him was like so frustrated because he was trying to say, is this, what is this guy, you know? He thinks he's so holy, I'll knock him down. But finally, by the end of the day, the, this, this rogue was really frustrated and said, you know, what is it about you that I can spat on you and abuse you and you've taken no offense? And the saint just looked at him and said, son, you've simply given me many opportunities to go to and do my washing and, and prayers in the river. Every time you spat on me, it gave me a good cause to say, so I have, you know, I, I have to thank you. You know, I prayed each time. I was blessed each time. It really shocked this man. He became his devotee. See it? The, the saint took everything as a divine opportunity, you know. So, like, let's say you did an experiment where for one week, when you had to deal with a person, whether it's your supervisor, whether it's a, uh, a patient, whether it's a rogue, you just put the word, oh, this is my friend rogue. This is my friend personality. This is my friend Susie. You know, just put the word friend in front of all of it. You know, you know, you can even say, this is my friend, the mother. You know, he may be taking your wallet, but if you preface, if you preface the experience with the word friend, the context changes. Because we as human beings, if you're a healthy human being, you always want to help the friend. So if someone is mugging you and you say friend mugger, you want to heal that person. The, the, the level of anger is not there. Just like, oh, mugger, mugger. No, no, no. <laughs> Friend mugger. <laughs> so if we, if we just did a sort of a psychic experiment, and for the course of one week, whenever we identified somebody, friend clerk, you know, friend bus driver, friend stranger, put the word friend in front of it, the relationship changes because our motivation changes. See? We're not just the victim. If someone mugged us and we say, friend mugger, we, we, how can I help that poor fellow? How can I do something for them? See? The, the psychic and emotional content changes towards them.
see, the, our response changes towards him just by saying friend. So, who did Jesus not say friend to? See? Who did Buddha say not friend? He said friend to all. See? You know, when, when Gandhi was speaking to the, the, the Viceroy of, of India, trying to have them leave the country, the, the British government leave the country, the Viceroy said, do you just expect us to up and leave? And then Gandhi said, not only do I expect you just to up and leave, I expect you to leave, up and leave as friends. <laughs> would shock them, <laughs> completely shock them. <laughs> so, so we have to sort of break old patterns and create new patterns. For one week, just put the word friend in front of everybody you identify with. Anybody you, you know, friend, stranger. Now all of a sudden, can you see the difference between the word stranger and friend, stranger? The, the emotional experience that you just, difference? So these are the, these are, in the yogic process, you must have infinite experiments, infinite experiments, you know, and really document it, look at it, and, and see the difference in your psyche, in your emotions, and in your physicality. If you say stranger, well, how close are you going to stand to them? If you say friend stranger, how close can you stand to them? Maybe you can even offer your hand. See? See, so even physically, it'll change things. Emotionally, it's going to change things. So this is what, the, this is what yogis practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we practice it until it becomes a habit. So like I have a habit of any time I cross a th threshold, inside I say a prayer. May all be well. So don't you think when I step into that place, the context of my psyche is a little bit different as opposed to hurry burry, you know, hurry burry and whatever. When I cross the threshold, I stop for a moment. May all be well. It changes, it changes the context of my experience. It changes what can come through me as I step into the, every new situation. See? So friend stranger, friend mugger, friend clerk, friend driver, you know, friend crazy person on the street talking to the wind, you know. So we, this, when we, when we put a word like friend in front of our daily experience, we give the saints and God an opportunity to do something through us. It, it, it creates an avenue. So this is what we have to do. But Definitely find a, a saint that has meaning to you and study their prayers. Learn to practice meditation. If you want to discuss that, we can discuss that privately. And definitely learn meditation. Meditation brings clarity. And humans' minds don't have clarity. Human minds is a cacophony of activity, a cacophony of impulses. But there's a beauty when they talk about Lord Rama. L Lord Rama's actions, word, and thought were one thing. 
there was a singularity. What are we? <laughs> you know, of course we have tensions, because we have so many varying thoughts, varying impulses that are not in harmony with one another. So there's an inherent conflicts, inherent. But when Jesus brought love, that Jesus was love. It was one thing, one manifestation. Whether he's walking, talking, eating, drinking, singing, it was one thing. If you look at Jesus, what you're looking at is love manifest. It was one thing. It wasn't, I think this, I feel that, I do something else. <laughs> no. No. Same thing with Bhagavan Krishna. Same thing with Gautama Buddha. It was one reality manifest. So that's what we have to have. We have to come to that kind of a one reality. So we become a friend to the world. And in that, in, in that friendship to the world, we're part of the body of healing the world. See? But we have to find the healing first here before we can do anything there. See? That's where self-knowledge comes in. Self-knowledge means remove the ignorance. It's, it's the ignorance that, that creates inappropriate action. See, or unskillful action. See? That's simply based on ignorance. It's not saying good, it's not saying bad. It's saying you're making mistakes. You know? Why'd you make a mistake? Lack of clear knowledge. Lack of clear insight. Nobody wants to jump into a fire, you know. But we, we jump into the fires of in, improper thinking, improper passions, improper actions, lack of knowledge lack of insight. So, you know, heaven is this, this, this infinite libra um, library of wisdom. But as long as we're involved in just our own self-dialogue, we can't hear. We can't hear what's going on. So by doing prayer, we're purifying ourselves. By doing mantra, we're purifying ourselves. By doing meditation, we're learning the true science of communion, where we put aside our stuff and just have a, a quiet, open place to hear and see what's going on. That's what happens in meditation. That's why revelation occurs in meditation. You actually hear and see deeply what is truly going on beyond your self-creation, beyond what you created. See. You see the creation, not your creation. Jesus was participating in the creation. Buddha was participating in the creation. Krishna was participating in the creation. It wasn't a personal creation. It was the creation. See? <laughs> the foundation of, of, of your joy. The foundation of your insight. You know, your, your, your personal ananda. But... All of these practices are self-healing. Knowledge is self-healing. Prayer is self-healing. Mantra is self-healing. All the dietetics are self-healing. But you have to make it your lifestyle. Your, your lifestyle must be self-healing. And in that self-healing lifestyle, you heal the world. 
you're, you're part of the, the tsunami of God's grace. See? The moment you start saying friend, 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 that grace is coming through you. There'll be an, an infinite amount of creative uh, wonder will come through you. So, Jesus wasn't unique. Jesus was a pattern. See? He, he was what we are to be. See? The only reason we're not that is our own personal confusions. See? He's, he's just what we are to be. What we are to become. What is already inherent in us beyond our creation. <laughs> See? When we, when we can create in unison, in complete harmony with the kingdom, then we are a Christ. You know? <laughs> we become that reality. See, why do they say Jesus the Christ? Jesus was the man. Christ was the supreme consciousness. See? So we can all say, your first name, the Christ. As you get yourself aligned, as you get yourself sorted out. <laughs> Just privately, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they'll cart you off. <laughs> Sylvia the Christ. <laughs> you'll get carted off rapidly. <laughs> what? <laughs> that, that is yoga, linking the finite to the infinite. So Jesus was the finite. The infinite was the Christ, and they came together as one, one manifestation. See? That's, that's the evolution of man. You know, we're, we're not supposed to stay frogs in a cave. You know, we're, we're supposed to become the Buddhas, you know, become the lords. That's, that's the evolution. So, bit by bit by bit. But we, it's, it's a lifestyle. This, this is a lifestyle. You know, we, we have to, to say, I want to create good. I want to create meaning. I want to have loving, harmonious purpose. See? Th those determinations have to come. And then with, with those determinations, all the other yogas are given to you. There's many, many, many yoga scientists. There's many. You know. and, and they are accessible. They're really accessible. They're, it's just that you have, you have to really want it. It's not that the teachers don't want to teach the sciences. They do. But people don't really want it. They, they have personal motivation. And this is, again, where altruism comes in. If, if you want to do good for the sake of good, every door is open to you. you know, every door is open to you. you know, there's many, many, many teachings. Like I said earlier, my, my first teachers were... Uh, healing yogis and um, people would come to them every kind of person who had this disease they were all terminal people because they had gone through all the all the western sciences and they were turned down by everybody and they all had you know, you know they said you're done with and they would land up with with these yogis but th these yogis would uh, would help them get their hearts and minds and physicality sorted out. And in the many years that I was with them, only one person passed away. And that person passed away only because he said, because I talked to his son, 
who, who was also an adult. And he said, my father was just tired and didn't want to do, do it, take on these practices. That's the only one that passed away. All the others got well. You know, and I don't care with like the worst of cancers, they got well. They all walked away healthy. But they, they adjusted their hearts, they adjusted their minds, they adjusted their, their dietetics, and they cured themselves. But they went on with a life of greater purpose, greater meaning. They weren't just lost in the world. So by having some kind of altruistic purpose in life, everything is possible. You know, you have no idea uh, how many divine sources are eager to help you, not just laying back, eager to, to be part of your life. It's there. It's really, really there. So, by altruism, correct purpose, and desire to make the adjustments. But first you have to do some introspection. You know, what are my principal physical act actions? What are my principal emotions? What are my principal psychic thoughts? You want to know your principal psychic thoughts? Go look at your bookshelf. <laughs> Go look at your bookshelf. That'll tell you what you're, what you're all about in, in your thought life. You know? How many... How many books of saints you have up there. Maybe not so many. Maybe there's a little bit of a guilt trip here. <laughs> but, yes. Um, I'm trying to understand. You said that the prayer of the saint represents the psyche of that saint. Yeah. And I'm the thinking that the prayer of St. Francis and the prayer of Jesus would be exactly the same. No? I mean, it's well, it's, it's, it's like how many poems of love are there? They're, they're, they're all trying to bring out an emotion, but they're going to say it in their own creative way, their own unique creative way. You know, okay. if you become a saint and Raj becomes a saint, you're both gifts from God, but you're completely unique flowers of God. See? So each saint will, will give the psychology a little bit differently, with a little bit different flavor. Do you know how to give an example of, like, what's... What's the flower of St. Francis? What makes him different than Jesus? In, in essence, they're not different at all. In, in essence, they're the same. But just like you have, why did heaven create infinite flowers or infinite colors? They all come from the same source. But you may like pink and someone may like blue. So, so it's just it's, their choice of words, even though yes. what they're talking about is the same. It's their... their presentation of it. Yeah, the, the, okay. the inner mystical experience is the same. Okay. The outer plumage is different. Okay. See? But this the same. Just like when you're practicing deep mantra, let, let's say moksha mantras, mantras that bring liberation. There may be many. That some may be Shiva mantras, some may be Krishna mantras, some may be Devi mantras. But all of them will give you the exact same experience. See? You'll go the, the earlier the earlier revelations will be slightly different. The higher experiences, completely the same. So, so that means like the subguni experiences, the experiences of the that exist within manifestation will be different. The nagguni experience will be the same. See? The formless experience will be the same. So I, I uh, one thing that I think I've been 
uh, aware of lately is uh, having picked up a lot of um, fear. Um, and I think it's partly like things that are happening, say, in, in my neighborhood, around um, just increases in crime, etc. And so like, I think I've just been aware that that's been really weighing me down, mm -hmm. like just having just having a lot more fear, um, and um, I, it, it, um, I think that mantra and sitting still will really help with that. But any other, any other? Well, you're right. Mantra and, and meditation will help, okay. but. Take it a first step further and be proactive. Your proaction is that people do unfortunate things based on their fears. Those fears are based on their ignorance. So start actively praying for the welfare of the community. You don't make other other. Okay. You know, make other friend. You have to you have to apply more will to do good than they apply will to do wicked. See, their their will to do folly is short term. Your will to do sacred should be infinite. See? We outlast them. We wear them down. We lift them up over time, see. But instead of cowering in our caves, be proactive. You know, pray, pray for them actively. You know, they lack healing, and that's why they're acting out. You know, nobody's really bad. Nobody's actually really bad. You know, we, we may be really ignorant, which leads to unfortunate results but not nobody's really bad they're really really ignorant that's what they are really really ignorant and that ignorance leads them into dark fearful places and in those dark fearful places they do dark fearful things see so we have to pray for their for their well-being you know a Jesus or a Buddha or a Krishna could turn down no one you know, in ancient India, on a battlefield, there was dharma. If a person laid down his weapon, that was it. You know, they, they could step off the field with perfect safety. You know, or when the sun came down, they could go to the other side's camp and, and talk and enjoy, and next morning show up for the raising of arms. See, there was a dharma there. There was no... You know, there was a righteousness in, in, in the actions. Okay. So, if you look at the iconology in India, a lot of times you see a lot of fierce weapons. Those fierce weapons are, 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 are to cut illusion, to cut delusion. See, they're not weapon weapons. They're weapons that bring clear insight. 
You know, how do you heal a person? By understanding the nature of the problem. So people who are doing bad things, we have to look into what, what are they lacking? What, what level of wholeness are they lacking? See? That leads them into fearful places. And then we pray for that to come to them, the, the, the wholeness to come to them. See? That's, that's our job. That's our job. You know, to, our job, when someone is, is lesser or involved in a cruder vibration, our job is to pray that their vibration is lifted. That's our job. You know, that's how you become a yogi, you know, by helping to lift other people. So, instead of being fearful, we get actively involved in a, in a positive action. Self-healing, self-knowledge, and altruism. See? So, like, like, the basis of my teachings are like, study, study, study. <laughs> sit, sit, sit. Give, give, give. Rejoice. <laughs> That's the basis of the teachings that Hari gives. <laughs> you know, when you're studying scripture, when you're studying lives of saints. You know, sit means prayer, mantra, meditation. Give, give, give. That's proactive. And rejoice, because that is the nature of the kingdom. Joy. Sat Chitananda. So this is so embrace uh, self healing as a lifestyle, as a lifestyle. Yeah. And then uh, when you're at home, ask yourself a lot of questions, and if you hit any nuts, just call me up. <laughs> Stop by the house. You know we have the internet, we have Skype, we have everything. You know so that. My, my job is to uh, convey to you uh, the psychology of the saints and the, method, and the methods of the saints so that you're equipped with that. And then you go do those experiments in your personal life. You know? So I, you know, I, I am, my study is nothing unique. I've just studied, done what my master and various saints have said, run various experiments. So I'll talk with a very deliberate knowledge because those are the experiments I've run. Each of you have to have the same experiments. See? You know, run the same experiments and you'll come to the same, you know, deep insights. You know, like I said, with, with yoga, there should be no sense of maybe. That's, that's the beauty of yoga science. Is yoga science is self-validating. You know, you, you run clean, honest experiments and you see for yourself. You'll see for yourself. That's the beauty of the science. Mm -hmm. So study Patanjali Sutra, study Bhagavad Gita. You know? One gives you the study of the mind, the other the whole philosophy and, and, and the energies of life in 18 chapters, all the different energies of life and how to work through that. So you have the Godhead, Sri Krishna, and then you have the, the, the scientist, Arjuna, <laughs> going through every circumstance of life. Anything that can happen is going to happen on that battlefield. And that battlefield represents our life. All the personalities, all the energies, all the circumstances that we have. That was what Arjuna was cast into. All of the conflicts, 
And then he had Sri Krishna as the oversoul, as the reality, advising him. You know? And sometimes Arjuna, in the beginning, said, no way, I don't want this fight now. You know? But he was pressed into the battle. He was like, no way you can avoid this fight. That's your duty. You're breathing, you're alive, get on the field. You know? But I'll stand with you. I'll guide you. So that's what Sri Krishna was, was doing for Lord Arjuna. So the Bhagavad Gita is there. You, you study it as, as, a, as a life manual, as a wisdom manual, how to get through it. Same thing with the Dharmapada, the sayings of Lord Buddha. Definitely study it. It's, it's a manual. It's a manual to how to get through it, how to see this, this conundrum and get through it. You know, get through it with sanctity. You know, not survive it. <laughs> get through it with sanctity. So th those, those texts are there. But uh, the, all this yoga, it, 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 it comes down to uh, embracing this self-healing yogic lifestyle. There's no, there's no difference between saying yoga and self-healing. There's no difference at all. They, they both bring insight and wholeness. They both bring you to completion, a, a union between the finite and the infinite, our finite little thoughts and the infinite reality. They bring them together. People want to get together. There's a lot of things that I can teach, but you have to. There has to be enough people that want to learn those things, you know, uh, to uh, uh, very positively and dynamically. It's a mixture of of, of pranayam, uh, bija mantra, and prayer, um, and and. Uh, the kundalini force, raising up the kundalini force. But by doing that over and over and over, you change who and what you are. You go from confusion to clarity, from purposeless to purpose, mm -hmm. you know, from, from common to something special. Yeah. Anybody can be common, anything can be common. But hidden in the common is the special, and that's what you have to bring out. You have to bring out the, the, the special. Yeah. Any other thoughts, ideas, questions? I, I know that Fung has made some food and Nim has made some food for us. How did you come? Victor. Yeah. No kidding, Victor sent you. <laughs> the elusive, magnificent Victor. <laughs> He's quite magnificent. <laughs> He's a great guy. <laughs> Victor, he, but when Victor walks in the door, a whole crew comes in with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, that's good. Well, when you see him, wish him well. I, I hope to see him. He has this shiny bald head mm -hmm. and a smile as big as the day. <laughs> you know. I take his class uh, at, the, at the gym once in a while. Oh, good. We've been friends for a while. This pendant, what is that called? That's, oh, it's just a dragonfly. 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 I keep looking at it. Um, um, a few weeks ago, what caught my attention, and why I'm interested in this girl, is because there was two dragonflies outside the front door. And I haven't seen dragonflies for years. But there was two of them. And it's not like they came and they went. They were there for like a couple of hours. You know, right here. And I'm thinking, I'm standing out there amongst them thinking, 
This is unusual. One, I never see them. And two, usually they come and they dash off. But they were there for hours, just flying around right here. And then she comes with this dragonfly. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this girl? <laughs> Her emissaries came the other day. <laughs> so, it's nice. So this is the, the yogic, this is part of the, the yogic process. And uh, if you want to get, you know, uh, uh, deeply into these practices, just, just let me know. You know, you can either be buffeted by the world, or you can make a path through the world, and, and that's 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 yoga. And it's, uh, another thing about meditation is, in human beings, we have um, a, a hidden angst about death. But one of the definitions of yoga, uh, of meditation is meditation is the process that brings death to death. Meditation is the process that brings death to death. So it means brings immortality. So we have these corporeal bodies, but is that, is that what you really, really, really are? That may be what you're really, really, really identified with, but is it what you really, really, really are? And that's what you have to find out. You know, that's what you have to find out. That's where the mystical practice is. The, this, the common mechanical practices you won't know. You have to use your highest facilities, which are your higher, higher mind. Normally, common mind, we're exercising all the time. But the higher mind, if you utilize that and utilize the yogic sciences, you'll know what you really are, what your true constitution is. Not, not with the asylum says you are, but what the kingdom says you are, see? They, the world and heaven define you differently. <laughs> so you have to get a higher definition of what you are, and then you have to find that process of realizing it. And it is definitely, definitely, definitely doable. It's definitely doable. It's correct practice, you know, correct uh, environment, psychic environment. And then everything happens. Every all the mysticism. Don't don't read the saints' lives and scriptures' lives as as mythological. Don't read it at that. No, no. It's all really, 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 really. Did Jesus feed the multitude with a basket with one basket and fed the melted? Absolutely, absolutely, no doubt about it. Absolutely. It's just a higher science. He's applying a higher science. See, not a common science. So, did he walk on water? Absolutely. Absolutely. Higher science. And it's not, and it's not unique. <clears throat> if, you, if you read the world literature and the saints, these, this higher science has been applied over and over and over and over. Some have greater notoriety, but it's been applied over and over and over and over. It's doable. So, it's, you know, part of an experiment, is it reproducible? Can it be re reproduced, that, that event? Definitely, definitely. So the thing is to learn, to, to accept that this is your destiny and to, to start to apply the science, you know. Self-healing is satchitananda, requiring the full realization, see. Can do, can do, you know, don't think, oh, that's so far, 
No. Just just start working. When you finish, who knows? But are you in the process? Get that motivation and go. You know, can do. You know, you, you are preciously special in the eyes of the kingdom. Preciously special. <laughs> not common. Humans look at you this way, that way. That's not the way the kingdom looks at you. You're preciously special. That's how the kingdom looks at you. <laughs> so you have to go to that. Fulfill that. <laughs> Realize that.